Well, good morning, Front Range. Anybody excited to be in church this weekend? I'm excited to be in church this weekend. Uh, you know, that video just ended with the statement, who are you? And some of you are looking at me going, who are you? Uh, my name is Josh Surratt. I serve as a lead pastor at Seacoast Church uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. And when you don't have somebody come up and introduce you as a guest speaker, what that means is that you're actually part of the teaching team now. And so that's, that's who I am. Uh, but I've, I love Front Range, been around. I've spoken here a number of times. And um, we are part of the, one of the churches that helped to launch this church uh, about, what, eight years ago now um, here in Castle Rock. And so thanks for having me. I serve on your uh, board of overseers and have been able to have a front row seat of what God's been doing in this church ever since it started. In fact, my wife and I were here on day one. Actually, we weren't here, but we were in a different school on day one. And I just want to say I love your pastor. Do you guys love your pastor, Ernest and Sarah? Uh, These guys are just amazing. I think he's sitting. Is he back there? He's back in the back. There he is. Uh, sitting back with Sarah, and a man, just a man of integrity, uh, a man of discipline, and uh, I was thinking about these guys on my way in, driving in from the airport, um, and it, it says a lot about somebody. Uh, discipline means that you say no to yourself a lot. Uh, you say no to your desires that you want right now because of something you want more even later, and uh, I've seen them do that in so many different areas of their lives, give up their own desires for the sake of this church and this community. And uh, just know, you may not see all of it. In fact, you definitely don't. But these guys uh, love and serve and sacrifice for you. And what a great time to be part of Front Range. I mean, how about the land? Anybody excited about the, the land and the new building? Uh, our, our setup and teardown team was especially noisy and excited for that. And uh, I can't wait to see what God does there. And uh, you guys have your special needs egg hunt that's coming up next week. Y'all, I'm telling you, Ernest shared last time he was at Seacoast, last fall, about that. And our church has rallied around that idea. We're, we're launching it not this year, but the following year. And so you guys are influencing us as a church, and uh, we're just super grateful. Uh, grateful to have an extended family here in Colorado, because this is as close to heaven as it gets uh, on this side of each. Although, I'll tell you what, your spring right now feels a lot like our winter. And um, so, <clears throat> a little chilly, but that's Okay. Uh, we're, we're dealing with. Since I don't, don't hang out all the time and our family isn't here, I thought I'd share a picture of our family for you just to introduce them to you. Uh, we were here skiing just a few weeks ago, so none of them came with me this time, but my wife Lisa is uh, in, the, in the middle there, and we got our daughters Greta Kate and Ellie, uh, who are just amazing. They look just like their mom, and then my son Miles is in the pink sweater uh, there on the right, and uh, love our family. My son has started playing so- uh, football as well as soccer. Uh, and so my part-time job right now is following him around uh, the football field and the soccer field. And as we jump into our topic today, I was thinking about him, and especially with football, because they're wearing the helmets and the you know, shoulder pads and all of that stuff. And so it's interesting to try to figure out how do you identify my son, how do I identify him when he's on the football field? And of course, you've got the jersey number and you've got uh, the position that he plays. And, but if you don't know any of that but you know me, you can watch my son's football team play and you would know who he was based on how he walks because he walks like a Surratt. I don't know if you knew this or not. You've got a few of them. You've got Jeff and, and Mike and, and Brittany and her crew, but there's such thing as a Surratt strut. We just, we walk the same way. Uh, it's a little, it's slow paced. It's fairly competent. Some might even say cocky. It's kind of like the George Bush 
swagger, but it's just what we do. And so I watch him on the field, and I'm like, that's my son, because he's walking like a Surratt. It's easy to identify him based on his walk. Well, as we jump into today's message, did you know that, that believers, Christ followers, we have a walk too? There, there's a strut, there's a way that we walk that when people who maybe don't know who we are or what our story is or maybe what we believe theologically, they could watch the way that we walk and go, oh, that person, that, that person walks in a similar way to their father in heaven. There's a strut. There's a, so I, I titled the, the, the message today, Watch Your Walk or, or Assess Your Strut. I like that better. I like strut better than walk. And, and, and here's the problem uh, is, is that many of us, because of maybe our background, maybe uh, what, what has happened to us a long time ago, or even just some of the stuff that we picked up along the way, we still walk maybe with a limp that doesn't accurately reflect how God would call us to walk. And, and, and so ideally, the people that you work with and the people that you, you, you do life with, maybe you do kids sports with or whatever that might be, ideally, they'd be able to look at your walk and go, oh, that's a reflection of what Jesus looks like. And we're in a series right now at Front Range where we're looking through, reading through the book of Ephesians. I love about your church, by the way, that so many times when I, I've come to speak, we're in the middle of a series where we're just preaching through a book of the Bible. And, and whether you know that or not, you should be grateful uh, to be in a church that values God's word, that has a high view of God's word. And so we're looking through the book of Ephesians, and, and, and if you've been around, uh, the, the first part of Ephesians talks a lot about how we get right with God. How, the fact that God, before we ever did anything right, when our walk looked terrible, we were all walking with a limp, and Jesus came and he died for our sin, and we, we get right with God through our faith and what Jesus did. And he's adopted us into his family. So what we're going to talk about today, it's not something that we do in the hopes that God will, will, will value us or will, will receive us or accept us. That all happened because of what Jesus did. So we can breathe a sigh of relief there. But he calls us to a higher standard. And he calls us to walk differently than others. So let's jump in. As we go in, my question for you would be, how is your walk? How is your walk? Have you paid attention to your walk lately? And some of you are like, yeah, I got that little pigeon-toed thing going. That's not, that's not the walk that I'm talking about. But as it relates to our faith and our journey with God, what does it look like? You know, some have a strut. Some may be walking in with a limp. And by the way, if you're walking in with a limp today, you've walked into the right church. I love about Front Range Church is that that everybody is accepted right where you are, that, that you don't have to have it all together to attend this church. But we're going to look at a couple of different types of walks that all of us as Christ followers should aspire to in this journey. It starts in Ephesians 5 and verse 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So again, he's saying, hey, because of what God has done for you, because you don't have to wonder where you stand with God, because he values you, he sees you through what Jesus did, but because of that, walk in love, watch how you walk, be an imitator of God so that we can walk like 
he walked. And, and then he jumps into a couple of different areas. The first one for us, if you're taking notes or following along, is he's calling us to walk in purity. To walk in purity. Let's jump in. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. He says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. How many of you know you, you know you're part of the teaching team when, when Ernest brings you in as a guest speaker and says, hey, I want you to talk about sex today. Uh, I could really mess up this church uh, with this topic, but uh, the, for the real detailed questions, Ernest wanted me to give you his cell phone number uh, just so he could deal with that personally with you. But, but, but no, he, he says, be careful that you walk in purity. And he defines purity. He talks about sexual morality. He also talks about our, our language and the types of things that come out of our mouth. And uh, he specifically says, avoid coarse joking. Don't make bad jokes about other people. Why would God encourage us not to make bad jokes about other people? Well, I thought, for example, you know, we could get slapped if we did, you know. Sorry, that was cheap humor right there. That was cheap humor. But when that's my passage and it's this week, you got to at least show the picture, right? Uh, Chris Rock may have been avoided a slap in the face if he just had not, you know, made, made, made the joke. But that's all we'll talk about that. We don't, need to, we don't need to pontificate about that today. But he says, be careful. Be pure in your speech. But he specifically says, hey, I want you to be pure in this area of your sexuality, and, and how many of you would agree, by show of hands, that there's a lot of brokenness in our culture around the area of sexuality? Would you disagree with me on that? Holy cow, the whole church disagreed on something. That hasn't happened at Seacoast in a long time. That's amazing. Uh, we should just respond and worship and uh, move on. But, but it's not hard to see, right? It's not hard to see that, that there's a lot of brokenness in our culture around the idea of sexuality. You know, the Bible talks a lot about sex. The church doesn't talk much about sex at all, and we're going to change that today. And, and by the way, this church does talk about it. I know Ernest has done several series uh, where you've talked uh, about taboo topics that maybe a lot of people aren't comfortable with. But again, this is why I love that we're just reading through the Scripture. Because when you go through God's Word, you're going to be forced to tackle topics that maybe you wouldn't normally want to, want to tackle. And so, so what I want to do, I want to take you to another Scripture that's written to a group of people that were in one of the most perverse regions in Greece. Paul, in his letters, he's, he's, he's writing letters, even in the church of Ephesus and the church in Corinth, which is another scripture I'm going to show you, where there's a great deal of sexual brokenness in their cultures. And the problem is that the church and the cultures, a lot of times those, the culture of brokenness will kind of seep and find its way into the church. And so he writes a letter to the church at Corinth. And just for context, there's a temple in the middle of that town that's dedicated to the Greek goddess of Aphrodite. And in that temple, there were temple prostitutes. And it would be very normal uh, for, for, for men to go to that temple and visit a temple prostitute right in the middle of the day, take a break from work, and then go back. It was just a part of their culture. So yes, we live in a world that's broken, but there was a lot of brokenness back in these cultures as well. 
And in the church specifically, there were, there were situations that would make you blush, and I'm going to talk about them in church, but that were happening. And, and Paul was like, hey, we got to address this stuff. And so he says to them in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Flee from sexual immorality. You know, a lot of times when you would uh, read, read God's word, even Paul, when he talks about areas of sin that he wants us to, to, to be careful with, a lot of times he'll wor- use words like stand firm or resist the devil. But when he talks about sexual morality, he doesn't say stand firm. He says run like your hair is on fire. Like, like run, flee. This isn't something that you need to dabble with. And this isn't something that you need to kind of believe that maybe I've got the power to overcome it on my own. No, no, no. He says get away from it. Run from it. Why? Because, because it's going it's to hurt you. It's going to do damage to you. And, 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 and he, he, the flee is a Greek word fuego, uh, which means to seek safety by flight. You know, fleeing is not meant to preserve some kind of moral high ground, to be like, yeah, I'm better than this world. No, f- fleeing is meant to save your life. And that's why God talks about sexual morality. And some of you may be here and you're like, hey, I came to church to talk about prayer. <laughs> I came to church to talk about faith or worship. Like, why? Why would we deal with sex in church? Well, Paul continues to unpack that in this verse in Corinthians. He says, all other sins that a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He says, yeah, all sin is is equal in a sense, right? In the sense that like, it just takes one to separate us from God. And, and Jesus came to die for all of our sins. And so, so we're not trying to make a case that one's better or worse, but he says this one is different because this one does affect our bodies. And our bodies are the uh, temples of the Holy Spirit. You can't separate our bodies from our spirituality. And in and, and a lot of ways, we see it differently in our culture, and maybe we don't understand it in the same way, but when the Bible talks about our bodies, uh, you know, that's why it says, love the Lord your God with, your, with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. It's like all of it is integrated. And when one area of our body suffers, typically the rest of it does too. And he says, when we struggle with sexual immorality, it's going to affect our bodies. And, and sex was a gift that God gave us. How many of you are uncomfortable with how many times I've said the word sex already? I am too. Uh, but it's a gift that God gave us. But like any good gift, the world seeks to distort it and, 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 and to hijack it. And, and, and God says, man, this gift was given within some boundaries. And the world has, has kind of created this environment where like, there shouldn't be any boundaries around our sexuality. And so I thought in order to help you understand this, I brought a prop with me. Um, I brought a chainsaw. How many of you love a chainsaw? Come on. These things are great. Uh, now, now, where I'm from in Charleston, uh, we have hurricanes. We have tropical storms. A lot of times trees will fall. And chainsaws are amazing because chainsaws can be used to do a lot of good. Uh, anytime a hurricane hits, 
We have a volunteer team. We call it the chain. You know, you have the chain gang is like the football crew. We have the chainsaw gang. And they show up with their chainsaws and their trucks. And, and we show up to people's homes and we, we clean things up. We cut trees down. We, we clean people's yards. And it's a great thing. I, I've got a chainsaw at my house and I love to use the chainsaw to cut firewood and you know, create a warmth in our fire pit or our fireplace. And a lot of great things can come from this tool. But how many of you know that if I took this chainsaw and I turned it on, got it going, and I walked back out here into our kids' classrooms and found one of your three- or four-year-old children and, and handed it to them, uh, fired up and ready to go, and said, hey, this is a great gift. You should use it. It's amazing. Uh, how do you know that's a bad idea, right? Uh, you would never invite me back to preach at this church, rightfully so. B- because if the wrong person uses this with the wrong boundaries, they can hurt other people, they may even hurt a peeps mascot out in the, in, the, in the courtyard out there, and they would most likely hurt themselves. And, and sex is like a chainsaw. Sex is a gift that God gave us. It's, it's a good gift. He gave it within the context of marriage. He gave it so that it would help us to greater levels of, of, of intimacy in the right context and the right marriage. And the enemy has said, hey, no need for boundaries with sexuality. Anybody can use it, go for it. And how's that working out for our culture? About like handing a four-year-old a chainsaw. There is so much hurt. There's so much brokenness when it comes to sexuality. Did you know, just according to the CDC, uh, this isn't even like a a church stat, that, that right now on a very low, low estimation, around one out of every five women will be the victims of sexual assault at some point in their lifetime. That's horrible. One out of five, and that's a low, low number. Did you know that there's never been more young women in human trafficking being sold for sex than there are right now as we speak? I know that my wife worked for an organization that was fighting human trafficking, and it's, it's heartbreaking What's happening in our culture, the use of pornography and how that's impacting uh, people's ability to relate with one another well, it's at an all-time high. Uh, there are unwanted pregnancies and abortions and all kinds of stats, and I'm not going to get deep in, into all of that stuff, but, but it doesn't take much. We all raised our hand to say, yeah, in this culture, there's a great deal of brokenness when it comes to our sexuality. In this room. There's a great deal of brokenness when it comes to our sexuality. So why would God care about our sex lives? Because he cares about you. Because he doesn't want to see you get hurt. So I want you to think about the fact that that our sexual disobedience, the fact that, that so many have not walked in purity, has produced a world that's staggering under the weight of disease and, again, the, the, the stats that we talked about earlier. God created boundaries for our good so that we could enjoy his gift as it was designed to be enjoyed. God desperately loves you. He desperately wants to see you be healthy in this area of your life. And I know when I was growing up uh, in church, and some of you may have grown up in church, uh, 
we, we talked about purity a lot, and when we need to talk about purity, but, but maybe we did it in such a way that sort of made us all think that sex was this evil thing that you never talk about, right? Uh, maybe because it's uncomfortable and we don't, didn't like to have these conversations in church. And even now, there's this deconstruction that's happening. I know you guys talked about losing my religion a few weeks ago in this great series. And, and there are a lot of people that would go, man, the purity culture was, was damaging for me as a, a young adult. And what I would say is I think that the, the world needs more purity and not less purity. And just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth it. I know when Lisa and I were dating, we, we decided this is a value for us. We want to be pure. We, we, we don't want to have sex until we're married. And, and, and so we started our relationship. I've been married for 21 years, and so we were young. Uh, we were 18 years old. You can imagine she had a very hard time keeping her hands off of me. I know that's hard for some of you guys. You get it, Addison. I understand that. It's just, it's just a, it comes with the territory. But, but we're like, we want to do this. We found ourselves in, in a place where we were struggling in this relationship. We were, we were dating for two to three years before we got married. And, and, and she went to this wedding in New York City. And this couple that she was at the wedding for, they had decided we're not going to have sex until we're married. But we're also going to stop way short of that. They decided we're not even going to kiss until we get married. And so she comes home and she's like, man, this couple, they're amazing. And the way they love each other. And she's telling me all this story. And she was like, and... And they decided they're not going to kiss until they get married. And I was like, well, man, I'm thankful God hasn't called us to that. And I shut that conversation down as soon as I possibly could. Like, don't you get any, any ideas? But then we, we found ourselves just struggling in this area of purity and wanting to be pure but struggling. And, and several months later, we were really uh, just overall in our relationship in a tough spot. And, and we decided one, one night, we went to a church service one evening, and we were like, you know what, let's just sit separately and just pray and see if God's, we were even considering breaking up. And, and I felt like as I was worshiping, what I felt like the Lord spoke to me is, is, Josh, you need to be a leader in this area. Like your wife has come to you with a desire, with a, a desire, and, and you shut it down. You need to be a leader in this area. She wants you to lead. And men, I would say, as a fellow guy who struggles sometimes to lead, Men want us to lead. Later on in this chapter, I'm not going to get into the whole wives submit to your husbands verse, but that's in there. Again, you can text Ernest for more context on that one. But the bottom line, what I'll tell you in a godly relationship is that, that our women want us to be leaders. They want us to set the standard for purity. And so we got out to the car afterwards and Lisa said, did God say anything to you during service? And I said, yeah. And I apologized to her and I said, I think God's calling us to do what that couple in New York did and to not kiss. This is nine months before we got married, not kiss again until we get married. And she was like, almost this relief came over. She was like, I feel like God's calling us to do the same thing. And I said, all right, well, let's start tomorrow. <laughs> I didn't really say that, but I wanted to. I wanted to. And, and you know what? Uh, we, 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 aren't, we aren't perfect by any means. And, and we, 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 but we did our best. And, and God honored this desire to walk with purity. And so I'll just encourage you guys, as followers of Christ, how's your walk? Are you, are you walking in purity? Or have you allowed some of this brokenness in our culture to kind of seep into your mindset and into your relationships? A second thing that's kind of tied into it is, is he says, I want you to walk in light. I want you to walk in light. Ephesians 5, again, keep it going back to that passage. Verse 6, he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. In other words, if you set a standard for purity in your life, there are going to be people 
they're going to say, that's not a big deal. Seriously, dude? Like, are you, are you seriously telling me you're going to try to reserve sex for, for a godly marriage? And, and he says, be careful that you don't let people deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. He says, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. He's saying, hey, children of God. Remember, you've already been adopted by him. We're going to try to imitate him. And one of the things that, one of the characteristics of God is that God is light. And he says, I want you to walk in light, especially if you've been impacted or if you've, if you've struggled in the area of sexual brokenness or sexual immorality. Because here's what the enemy is going to want you to believe. And I can, I've got a whole story on this that I'm not afraid to tell you about, but I'm not going to get into today because we don't have time for it. But when you find yourself struggling in an area of sexual brokenness, what the enemy is going to tell you is you need to keep it to yourself, is that if you tell anybody about it, that you're going to be judged, that you're going to be cast out, and that you're going to be shamed. That's his tactic, because he wants to keep you in darkness. The only way to break free in any area of our life, any area that we're struggling. Some of you may be struggling, it's not with purity there, but maybe you're, you're struggling, struggling financially. And, and, and you, you, you know you should talk to somebody about it. You know you should talk to your small group about it. But you feel a sense of shame attached to that. Anytime you feel that, you need to put horns on that and realize that's the enemy of your soul trying to keep you stuck right where you are. Because the only way out is to bring it in to the light. See, there, there can be no darkness where there is light. And Jesus came as the light of the world to shine his light into these dark places where we find ourselves being stuck and broken. And here's what I'm going to do. I have a couple minutes left. Uh, if you want it, I'm going a different direction than the first service. Uh, I can do that because I get to get on a plane here pretty soon, and, uh, and, and you guys can deal with it. But what I wanted to do is, uh, is really talk to those of us that are here today that maybe, maybe you've been impacted in some way. You've fallen short of God's standard. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because we've been talking about a sensitive topic, but here's what I'll tell you without any show of hands. If you've fallen short, if you've experienced a, a place where you've walked in impurity, you're in good company in this room because really we all have. Because Jesus actually set the standard a whole lot higher. Uh, he even said in, in Matthew chapter 5, he said, I know that the Bible says that, or that, that God's word says, you've heard it said, that anyone who commits adultery, he says, I, I'm going to raise the standard. Anybody who's actually lusted after somebody, you've already committed adultery. He leveled the playing field. And so what do I do? Where do I go if I've fallen short? Or maybe I'm currently finding myself in an area of stuck, stuckness. I would say you go to the, the person, the only one who can be trusted with our brokenness, especially in this area of our life, and that's to Jesus. And I'm reminded of a story that happened in John chapter 8 where there was a woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery. And these religious leaders, they knew that the, the, the penalty for adultery was that you would be stoned, not the way that Coloradans do stone, but, but actually stoned to death, right? 
And, and if, you're, if you're caught in the act of adultery, you would literally be stoned to death. So they take this woman probably naked, probably fully just exposed in, her, in the worst moment of her life. And they bring her to the feet of Jesus. And they say, Jesus, you know what the law says about adultery. This woman, there are witnesses, she was caught in the act of adultery. By the way, where was the person she was committing adultery with? We don't know. Because it was a double standard. They weren't there because they wanted truth. They were there because they wanted to trap Jesus and they didn't really care what the collateral damage of it was. This poor woman's soul and identity. And they say, so Jesus, what do you say? Well, we know Jesus had a high standard on sexuality. I just shared a verse with you where he said it's, it, his standard was higher than, the, than, than any of the rest of us. And they go, Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus gets down on his knees and he begins to write in the sand. And he has this moment where he's seeing the brokenness of this woman, the shame that she's carrying. And he stands up and he looks out at a room full of religious people, all holding on to rocks who are ready to go. And he says, you know what, you're right. You're right, that's what the law says. She should be stoned to death. But here's how we're gonna play this out today. Is the person who's here, who doesn't have any sin, you throw the first rock. And it gets quiet, kind of like this room is right now. And one by one, and interesting, it says the oldest from start to youngest. It's because the older people, they know. <laughs> they know where they've fallen short. And one by one, you hear the sound of stones dropping and of people walking away. And then Jesus is left with this woman. And he says to her, hey, has anyone condemned you? And she looks up and she says, no one has. And guess who is the only one in the room that day that could condemn her? It was Jesus. And he looks at her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Now it's interesting to me because depending on where you come from or how you see things, you really wish Jesus would have said one or the other. <laughs> like so many in, in, in our world would go, well, there's no judgment. Jesus didn't condemn. I wish he would have just said, I don't condemn you. And he did. He said, I don't condemn you. I'm not throwing a rock at you. I'm reminded of Romans chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he didn't say, hey, why don't you go back to your life of sexual brokenness? No, he said, Go and sin no more. I want to see you walk in purity. And there are others of us that are here a lot of times in the church where like, I just wish he would have said, stop sinning, walk in purity. And he would have left that part out about condemning. But no, he didn't. He lived in this tension of I don't condone what you did, but I also don't condemn you. And that's where grace is. That's where Jesus is. Again, we, he, he didn't compromise the standard. He wants us to walk in purity. He doesn't want us to walk with a limp of sexual brokenness. But, but, but he also isn't gonna hold your past against you. And so I don't know where you are today. And again, whether it's this subject or any other, 
But if you're here and, and maybe your walk doesn't look how Ephesians 5 said that it should. And if you had to kind of review the last couple of months of your life, you'd go, I don't know. Maybe there's some areas of impurity. Maybe there's some areas in the dark that need to come to the light. Just know that the only place to go with that is to the foot of the cross where Jesus is going to look at you. He's going to say, I don't condemn you. But come on, man, I want to call you to a higher place. I want to call you to a better way of walking. And so I want to pray with you as we go into response time and we, we find ourselves at the foot of the cross. Father, I just thank you right now for this amazing church. And God, I thank you that there's nothing that any one of us walked in today with that's going to surprise you. Lord, that you're going to hold us in anger. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you don't even look at us and value us through the lens of how obedient we are, how often we get it right. That you paid for all of it at the cross. So Jesus, first of all, we just say thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you died on a cross and rose from the grave. But God, that sacrifice costs you so much. So God, we also want to say, Lord, forgive us for staying in bondage where you've died for us to be free. Lord, forgive us for staying in the dark where you've died that we would be able to live in the light. And we're asking you to help us to be imitators of you and to walk like you walked. Help us to walk with purity. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to walk in the grace of your forgiveness so that, Lord, the world around us here in Castle Rock, Colorado and throughout the Front Range would see us walking and they'd go, that's somebody who walks differently. That's somebody who walks forgiven. That's somebody who walks free. Lord, how we want to walk in your freedom today. We ask you to come. We ask you to minister to us. In Jesus' name.